0: Well, I invite you, let's open to the book of Hebrews, and we are in chapter 3, so if you have a Bible, I always invite you to open with me, bring a Bible with you, some way that you can look at it. We will put the words in just a moment on the text, on the screen, excuse me. Hebrews chapter 3 is where we're at. I have argued that the primary pastoral purpose of this author in this Letter, it's really a sermon letter, is to exhort his readers and us to hold fast to Christ. It's the main pastoral purpose of this letter. There is an ever present danger of falling away, of turning away in unbelief. Whether because of persecution, like so many of our brethren are facing this morning. Persecution or suffering or ridicule, being ostracized, or false teaching that leads people away from the gospel, or simply the enticements and the fleeting pleasures of sin and love of the world. There's an ever-present danger of turning away. There seems to be, in this letter, there seems to be a heightened sense of danger for this congregation he's writing as seen in the urgency of his exhortations and warnings. This book has an urgent tone to it, doesn't it? Almost a severe tone at times of his warnings. So there seems to be a heightened sense of danger here, yet... This letter, this book, is a timeless, needed word for the church today. That's why it's in the Bible. We need the message of Hebrews. Throughout this letter and sermon, the author will show us the superiority of Christ as our great high priest and all that he has accomplished for us, and he will show us that so that we hold fast to Christ. That's his aim. In the first part of this sermon letter, the opening part, chapters 1 through 4, he actually begins, as we've seen, he begins with the superiority of Jesus, the exalted Son, who is the final, complete revelation of God and who has become our high priest through his incarnation, as we think of Christmas, through his sufferings, he has become our high priest. He is the exalted Son, and we are to listen to him. And he has shown us the superiority of Christ at the beginning in order to get to his main exhortation in the first part of this letter. And as we come to chapter 3 now, we are in the heart of this exhortation to hold fast. So we pick it up. Hebrews 3, we're gonna start in verse 7. I'm gonna start reading there in verse 7 of your Bible, Hebrews 3, 7. I'm gonna read through the end of the chapter. Hebrews 3, starting in verse 7. Actually, if you have your Bible open, just glance back at verse 6, just for a bit of context, because this is where he transitions from showing the superiority of Jesus, the Son, he's superior even to Moses. And he transitions from there into his main exhortation and warning in verse 6 where he talks about Christ being a son over God's house. And he says this, whose house we are if we hold fast. There's our key word. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope. We are his house if we hold fast this confidence we have in Christ and the boast of our hope that is our coming hope now let's pick it up verse 7 therefore just as the Holy Spirit says today if you hear his voice do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion as in the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tried me by testing me and saw my works for 40 years Therefore, I was angry with this generation and said, they always go astray in their heart, and they did not know my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. Take care, brethren, lest there be Should be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart and falling away from the living God. But encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sins. For you have become partakers of Christ. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end. While it is said, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts, as in the rebellion. For who rebelled when they had heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter Because of unbelief. The danger of unbelief. I said last Sunday that that's the main point of this paragraph. He's warning about the danger of unbelief. That's the last thing he says there in verse 19. They didn't enter, referring to that generation in the past, because of unbelief. So take care that you don't have a heart of unbelief. So the danger of unbelief is his main point. Point and warning. Now, in this section, we have seen that the author here is comparing the people of God in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, the Mosaic Covenant. He's comparing them with the people of God today, with you and me, with the church. They, those people under the Old Covenant, they received that awesome revelation at Mount Sinai, kind of the pinnacle of God's revelation in the Old Testament. They received that by angels and through Moses. Moses was their leader. We saw the greatness of Moses last week. He was faithful. Moses was their leader and mediator. And yet, this entire generation died in the wilderness under God's judgment for unbelief. They didn't enter the promised land. So he's making this compare. Here's his main point. Let me put it up. Avoid the unbelief of God's people after Mount Sinai, those people in the wilderness who failed to enter his rest. Hold fast to the end. It's his big point. As he warns of the danger of unbelief, he's comparing and he's saying, don't follow their example. We have this really Powerful, sobering example of God's people under the old covenant who were redeemed out of Egypt, who saw the Lord's works all of those years, who entered into a covenant with Him, and all of whom, that whole generation, died in unbelief under His judgment. We are to take note and to take heed. And to learn from that powerful, sobering example. Hold fast to the end. So that's, that's what he's doing in this section of Hebrews. Now, in case you're tempted to think, isn't our author spiritualizing the Old Testament history of Israel and applying it to the church without warrant? Not so. If you're tempted to think that. What he does in this section is he insightfully uses Psalm 95, verses 7 through 11, as his link, his link between the wilderness, those people there in the, under Moses, and the church today. Here in this section, what is the writer doing? This section of Hebrews is basically an exposition and application of Psalm 95 verses 7 through 11. I read it, starting verse 7, he's quoting Psalm 95, and then he's going to explain and apply Psalm 95 and the rest of chapter 3 and most of chapter 4. As I said, this is a sermon. He's taking the Bible, he's explaining it, and he's applying it. That's what you should do in sermons, and that's what he is doing here. And that's really what this is, because Psalm 95 is a Holy Spirit-given application of those events that happened in the wilderness when they rebelled in unbelief. And it's a Holy Spirit application to the ongoing worshiping people of God. That's the nature of Psalm 95. He is taking it and he's applying it to the people of God in worship, like us this morning. So he's not just spiritualizing the Old Testament and trying to draw lessons. He's just seeing what the Bible does with those events and applying it very helpfully for us today. Because Psalm 95, that he's quoting, was written centuries after the events in the book of Numbers in the wilderness. Psalm 95 is written centuries later to the people of God at that time, to the ongoing people of God, and it applies equally and even more pointedly to us this morning. So last time together, two weeks ago, we looked at the quotation from Psalm 95. It's found in verses 7 through 11 of our text here. We just looked at the use of Psalm 95. We saw that that psalm was referring to that great act of rebellion in the wilderness at Kadesh. Kadesh Barnea, when they got to the entrance to the land and they sent in the spies and they came back and they didn't trust the Lord. They didn't believe and they wanted to turn back. They rebelled against the Lord. That's what it's referring to, that great act of the rebellion, their unbelief. And because of that, God swore in His anger, His wrath, they will not enter the land. And Psalm 95 interprets that entering the land as entering God's rest. That's a picture ultimately A type of God's ultimate rest. That's what Psalm 95 is doing. And it's applying it to the people of God in worship. And the main exhortation from Psalm 95 that we saw last time, right at the beginning, was Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Today, so he's applying it to all of us. Today, if you hear his voice like they did, don't harden your hearts like they did. So we saw Psalm 95 last time. Now, starting in verse 12 this morning, we get to see now our author's explanation and application of this psalm. What a privilege for us to hear this. So helpful. He begins with immediate application of Psalm 95. He wants to get really to the punchline right away. And then he's going to develop more of it, as we'll see in the next weeks to come. But the heart of it is found in verses 12 through 14. He's just getting to really the power of Psalm 95 and applying it. So that's what I want to look at this morning. Just these three verses under these three points. Number one, the warning. So, still under the danger of unbelief, just like we saw last week, he's continuing on this. Number one, the warning watch out. That's his first words after quoting Psalm 95. He's going to apply it. He says, verse 12, mine says, take care, watch out, beware, take heed. That's what it means. Watch out. It's a strong command. It's a warning. Take heed, watch out, beware, beware lest there should be in any one of you a heart like those people in the wilderness. You, you see how he's applying Psalm 95. The danger of unbelief, of a hard heart. So beware, church, lest there be in any of you that kind of heart that we just saw referenced in Psalm 95. So here's, here's his point, firstly. Practice continual vigilance Over your heart, guard against unbelief. That's the idea of the command, watch out, beware. What are we watching? We're watching our hearts, lest we have a heart of unbelief. See this connection? Watch out, lest you have this kind of heart. So the implication is, watch over that heart, watch for those uprisings of unbelief. Guard against unbelief. Brothers and sisters, he's talking to us, talking to the church, watch out. Lest there should be in any one of you. You hear this language? Lest there should be in any one of you. So there's no member of the church that is exempted from this warning. Lest there should be in any one of you. This heart, John Owens says, it's the duty of every believer to be on alert on every occasion. So this applies not to your neighbor, this applies to you and me. Take care, brothers and sisters, lest there be in any one of you a, an evil heart of unbelief. So unbelief is the danger. And that unbelief here is defined as evil. Evil. What he means, evil that is an unbelieving heart. Because this kind of unbelief is evil. It's rebellion. It's calling God a liar. Not believing him or his word. So it's an evil unbelieving heart that is unbelief here is defined as evil. A failure to trust God and his promises in Christ failure to trust God and his promises in Christ again his example is the wilderness generation that's what he's applying here through Psalm 95 remember that we looked at it last week that generation they did not trust God's power they didn't trust his character they didn't see him as good they didn't trust his promise to bring them into the land and it led to their rebellion they just disobeyed that's an evil heart of unbelief and he's warning us the church to take care lest that kind of heart be found in us so take care brothers be watchful don't be careless or nonchalant because there's all kinds of voices And desires that are waging war on your faith this morning. They're waging war. They're whispering in your ear. They're pulling you away. They're telling you it's not true. Don't believe it. This is better. Egypt is so much better. It's enticing. So be vigilant. Watch over the heart. Are you trusting? Are you believing God? and his word, and his promises in Christ. Watch over your heart, Proverbs says, with all diligence, for from it flow the springs of life. If you want to know, how do you do that? We have an entire Sunday school class started this morning on watch over your heart. Isn't that great? good? I didn't tell him to do that. It's just God's providence here. So if you want more on this ongoing vigilance, that's a great opportunity to join in on that class. So there's the warning to all of us to be on guard. There's just this vigilance over our heart, looking for uprisings of unbelief, of not trusting God in His Word, in His promises, in Christ. But notice the result of this heart of evil. It's it's pretty serious. So, practice vigilance over your heart, lest, here's the second note, lest this unbelief results in a deliberate spurning of the power and promise of God in Christ. Falling away from the living God. You see what he says there at the end of verse 13? Watch out, brethren, lest there be in any one of you this evil heart of unbelief that falls away from the living God. That's a sobering word. Falls away from the living God. Now, in theology, we refer to this as apostasy. That's the word that's used here, this Greek word, to apostatize, to turn away from, finally, Christ, the gospel. To turn away, to reject, to spurn When we talk about apostasy, we're referring to those who profess faith in Christ, baptized, some even preach for a season, and then reject, turn away. Probably all of us in this room know someone in that category. We've seen them on the news, even of late. And that's the danger he's warning against. Watch over, lest this heart of unbelief result in falling away from the living God. This falling away, this rejection. So remember, go back to the wilderness generation. Because that's his example. They rejected, they spurned God's word and his promise and his goodness, and they rebelled. That's what Moses says, don't rebel against God. That's what they were doing. They were spurning God's word in a final disobedience. And the Lord says, I swore you will not enter my rest. That's falling away from the living God. It's sobering. Now, in our context of Hebrews, under the New Covenant, what he means by falling away from the living God is to abandon Christ, the Son. So he's been arguing since chapter 1 that the final word spoken, revelation of God, has come in the Son. And if you spurn the Son, you reject God. If you spurn Christ, if you turn away from Christ, there's, there's no more hope. To abandon Christ, this final revelation of God, God in the flesh, is to abandon the whole work of God and to identify with those. Listen, to, to abandon Christ is to identify with those who worship false idols. When he uses this language to fall away from the living God, That's the language all through the Old Testament that contrasts our God, the living God, with dead idols. You turn from the living God to dead idols. So to abandon Christ is to be in the company with those who serve false gods, no matter how religious someone is. The people in the wilderness weren't atheists, but they rejected God in His Word at that point. But to reject Christ... To that's what he's pleading with them. Remember, some of these, it seems, want to go back to the old Mosaic customs and law and to abandon Christ. And he says, that's falling away from the living God. And that's beyond repair. A final disobedience. Turning away from the gospel is to reject God himself. So, quote John Owen again. So, there's the warning. Now, that's a sobering warning. As I said, none of us are exempted from, lest any one of you be found to have this heart. So let's just take heed to the warning. And I say that especially this morning. If you are casual, growing apathetic, indifferent, or drifting... From Christ. If his word has become stale, there's no appetite for being with his people in worship. Take heed. Do not merely rest on past decisions. Like, well, I I prayed to receive Christ when I was whatever. I was baptized. That's, those are very good. And we should look to our baptism to remind us. But not, not just resting on past decisions and say, "Ah, I think I'm all right. Your present pursuit of Christ today, right now. So be, beware. Beware. So just let us all hear that. And make it our ambition to follow him. To watch over our hearts. So that's the warning. Number two, the antidote. The antidote. There are other means in the Bible to continuing on and to watching over. But he gives us one here that's crucial. Exhort one another. It's the antidote. Antidote, excuse me. To exhort one another. You see it, verse 13? So after saying watch out, take care, so that you don't have an unbelieving heart and falling away. But, here's here's what you do, encourage one another day after day, as long as it's still called today, lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You See it? So So to avoid that outcome of a heart of unbelief, of being hardened by sin's deceit, encourage one another so that you don't become hardened by sin's deceit. You see it? Here's the remedy. Here's an antidote to keep you from that evil, unbelieving heart. So here's the point. Continual, mutual encouragement is a necessary means of avoiding an unbelieving heart. That's what he's saying. Continual, mutual exhortation is a necessary means of avoiding an unbelieving heart. So again, you can hear how he's applying Psalm 95. Psalm 95 said, today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. How do you avoid hardening your heart? Well, encourage one another so you don't harden your heart. How do you hear God's voice? Well, one of the ways you're going to hear God's voice is from others. So as you hear that voice, don't harden your hearts. And that encouragement is the means of avoiding an unbelieving heart. We... Need the church. We need the church. We need one another. We are members of one another. That's how God designed us. Not independent, not lone rangers, but interconnected with each other. Yes, for our encouragement, but also for our perseverance. We need. The church. This is one of God's essential means of our continuing to hold fast to Christ. So we need it. This is a, I called it a necessary means. That is, it's not optional. You are not the exception. Listen to his word. Lest, do you hear it again? Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. He's just applying it to all of us. Encourage one another day by day, lest any one of you be hardened. So this is a means God has given us. It's the way he's designed us in the church, our mutual dependence on one another, to encourage so that we're not hardened by sin's deceit. This is the antidote To being hardened by sin's deceit. So we need each other. And oh, what a danger of separating oneself from the church. From the one another. Do you hear it? It's implicit there. You separate yourself to great peril. What a danger. So listen to him. This is the means God has given. Encourage one another today, lest any of you be hardened by sin's deceit. Now, what would that encouragement or better word is exhortation? What what would it involve? Well, it's implied in what you're trying to avoid. right? Lest you be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. So how do you do that? What would that involve? Let's say it this way. Encourage one another to trust God's promises in Christ and warn against sin's deceit. That should be the, part of the content of our mutual exhortation. It involves both encouragement and warning. Just like the book of Hebrews. In fact, remember, he uses the same word at the end of the book, chapter 13, when he says, I've written to you this word of exhortation. If you want an example of what it means to exhort one another, just read the book. Read Hebrews. This is what he does throughout the whole book. Promises, warning. Promises, warning. Beauty of Christ. Superiority of Christ. Warning. Deceitfulness of sin. He's just doing it constantly. And basically what he's telling them, what I'm doing for you here, you do for each other. You you mutually exhort one another. So it includes promises Reminding of God's promises in Christ and warnings against sin's deceit, speaking this gospel to one another, we can't hear it enough. Personally, in our context, what we're wrestling with, speaking the gospel, reminding each other, who is Christ? It's like the writer of Hebrews does. What has He done for us? What is our inheritance? Oh, we just need constant reminders from each other to trust the promises of God in Christ and the beauty of Christ, but also admonishment. Even at times confrontation. As we're heading down and being enticed potentially by sin, if anyone is caught in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. That's the church. We need each other for that. We we are open to that. We invite that because we know the deceitfulness of sin. That sin is powerfully deceiving. Sin promises freedom. It promises life. It promises satisfaction. You can hear almost an echo of that original sin in the Garden of Eden and all those promises but avoiding what sin really brings, which is death. We are are no match for the deception of sin on our own. That's why we need each other to have courage and love, to speak truth in love to each other. Gospel promises, warnings against sin's deceit, Especially as we maybe are blind to it ourselves, it's the part of the deceit of sin. Do you believe sin is deceitful? It's deceitful and it results, do you see that? Hardening, lest you be hardened. Again, he's picking up the language from Psalm 95. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Sin's deceit hardens hearts. Lest you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Again, hardening, we we saw that last time, it's just that no longer no longer able to be impressed upon with God's word repeated failure to trust and obey God's word his promises repeated failure until one becomes so callous that God's voice they can no longer hear and respond it's where the people of Israel at were in the wilderness And that's the warning, the danger, he says. And again, he's applying it to all of us. Lest any of you be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. No one's exempted. Notice that it's a continual and perpetual exhortation. You see it? Encourage one another day after day. It's just constant. This constant need for mutual encouragement. Encourage each other day after day. It's the regular, intentional part of our fellowship that we're mutually exhorting and encouraging one another as long as it's still called today. Which means, till Christ comes, season is open for mutual exhortation. The opportunity is open for mutual exhortation. It needs to go on as long as it's still called today. But again, you hear in that language that this right now is the time of opportunity But to the one who continues to reject, to spurn, to not trust, to not obey, and yet hear God's word and becomes callous, that day may be over. That's what he's saying. That's the hardening. So today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Today is that day of mutual encouragement. So there's the antidote. Now he's going to, at the end of his sermon letter, he's going to circle back to this exhortation again. Let me just preview it for us. It's found in chapter 10. You may be familiar with these verses. Chapter 10, verse 23. It'll be a while before we get there, so let me preview it for you. But you can hear. In chapter 10, he's going to come to his main kind of application of all that he's been saying. And he comes right to the same point that we're seeing in chapter 3. So listen to these words again. Verse 23, I'll put it on the screen. Let us hold fat. There's our key word. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful, he's doing his minus of the faithfulness of God. Let us hold fast. And let us consider how to stir one another up, agitate one another to love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but exhorting or encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. You hear it? Essential to holding fast the confession of our hope. Essential is our mutual encouragement and exhortation. Hold fast and consider how to stir each other up to love and good deeds. And oh, don't forsake assembling. What danger there is in forsaking assembling. Some are already doing it, he said. This is God's means of our holding fast. So assemble so that you might encourage one another, and do so all the more as you see the day drawing near. The purpose of this assembling is to encourage one another to hold fast to our confession. So take note of that. Gathering on Sundays as the church is vital to our perseverance in the faith, to holding fast to Christ. Do you see it as vital or merely as kind of a helpful fringe benefit to your otherwise personal Christian life? (laughs) Too many see church like that. No. We need each other to hold fast to Christ. We need to be under God's word. We need to be encouraging each other as we come together. So don't neglect, don't neglect the assembling Sundays are vital. Gathering together, they're vital, but they're not sufficient. Again, back to Hebrews 3, it's day by day. This is an ongoing mutual encouragement. Not just preaching of God's word, that's essential, but mutually encouraging one another all the time. So let me me just pause here and just ask. How how this morning are you building that into your life? You recognize, I hope, I don't want to be deceived by the sin and grow and unbelief. There's a danger. So how am I building this mutual exhortation and encouragement into your life? Are you? Yes, be here Sundays. Don't miss. Be here. Prioritize. But then through the week... We have a whole small group ministry designed for this very thing. Could be one of the key verses of small group ministry. Verse 13. So if you're looking for that, we have many of those that are meeting designed to speak the gospel to each other, warn each other of the deceitfulness of sin. Build it into your life. We have men's groups going on. We have women's Bible studies and groups going on. And if it's not one of those type of more formal type of ministries that are aimed at this, then are you building intentional relationships into your life with spiritual conversations? Do you have that as part of your pursuit of Christ? Mutual encouragement. I hope you do. Build it into your life. Join one of those groups. Get with somebody else. Because you recognize how desperately we need it. Now let me finish number three with the necessity. So there's a warning. He gives us an antidote. Then he gives us the reason for the necessity of this antidote, the necessity hold fast. We're back to our main point. Four, verse 14, here it is. Lest any one of you be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have become partakers of Christ if we Hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. Gives us a reason for, do you see it, verse 14? This ongoing mutual exhortation is essential because, why is it essential? Because we must continue to hold fast to the end if we will enter his rest. So do this while it's still called today, for we become partakers if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance, firm until the end. Here's how I'd say it. We have entered into participation in Christ. That's first. See it there, verse 14? We have become partakers of Christ. Now that's really good news. We've become sharers in Christ. He's the source of all saving benefits. Through our faith, we have become partakers of Christ. Now, he's anticipating what he's going to explain in following chapters about the high priesthood of Christ and all the benefits that secures for us. We, this morning, have become partakers of Christ. This, the way he says that, it's a present reality that we're enjoying now in light of our past conversion. We've become partakers in Christ. But then he gets to this necessity. If we hold fast the beginning of our assurance or our steadfastness, firm until the end. I'll say it this way. We continue to participate in Christ and enter final rest if we persevere in faith until the end. The need for perseverance. The implication is pretty clear from verse 14, just like it was in verse 6. Just reiterating what he said in verse 6. If we don't hold fast firmly till the end, We do not share in Christ. You hear it? We've become, or we are, partakers in Christ if we hold fast the beginning of our assurance firm until the end, the beginning of our steadfastness. He's thinking of these these people, this congregation he's writing to, who, who made such a good start in Christ. They suffered for their faith, they lost property. They identified. They were publicly ridiculed. He's thinking of that beginning. That's what he means by the beginning. You had this steadfastness, this confidence, this boldness in Christ. You must hold that fast until the end. If we, to paraphrase verse 14, we become partakers of Christ if we hold on firmly to the end, the steadfastness we had at the beginning. We must continue. So I I just close here. We're back to the main exhortation of the book and the main exhortation of this chapter, the necessity of perseverance in the faith. We must continue holding fast to Christ in faith until the end to be saved. That's the necessity of perseverance. That's what he's going to keep saying throughout this letter, don't turn back. Don't fall away from the living God. Jesus said something, I'm almost paraphrasing Jesus' words. He said something very similar in Matthew chapter 24, that many, the love of many will grow cold, many will fall away, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The necessity of perseverance. Now, I said last Sunday that this truth is seldom, I think, discussed, maybe in the church, or thought on. It may make us uncomfortable. It does raise questions, doesn't it? How does it relate to our, security, our eternal security in Christ? Does this mean a person can lose their salvation? How do we as Christians, how do we relate to these warnings and to these if clauses? Lots of good questions, and I said, we will take those up in the next week or two, whenever I figure out the answer, we'll we'll discuss it. They're hard, they're very important questions. Maybe you're feeling that as you hear these, like, what what does this imply? So we want to discuss that, but before we do that, I just want us to hear the force of this exhortation. This necessity of perseverance, you don't miss the obvious. As we start to think through the nuances, don't miss the obvious. He's calling us to persevere until the end, and we need to persevere. We must persevere to the end, and he has given us a great means of perseverance, and that is our mutual encouragement of one another. He's given us several means by which we persevere. God's word and rehearsing his promise, but, but that mutual encouragement is really essential. So hear that. Hear the necessity. So listen to his exhortation. This morning, probably in this gathering, there's probably, probably three categories of people. I think probably one, the majority of you are holding fast to Christ. You're 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 hearing his voice. You're trusting the promises of God. You're you're seeking to pursue. You're you're watchful over your heart. You're you're inviting others in participation and and praise God. Continue. Be greatly encouraged this morning, and just continue to persevere. But there may be another category who are simply resting on something you did in the past, as I mentioned earlier, and you're just in coast mode with very little interest in the things of God. To you, this writer is saying, watch out. Lest there be in you a heart of unbelief in falling away from the living God. So if that's you, take this as his mercy to you this morning to awaken you. Awaken you to that danger. That danger of drifting or coasting. Repent. Repent. Ask him for new desires, and then seek the fellowship that encourages you with the promises of Christ. And then thirdly, may, maybe you're here, and you've never trusted Christ as your savior. You, you don't share in Christ this morning. You haven't put your faith there in Christ. Oh, hear his word. Today, if you hear his voice, if you hear this gospel, don't harden your hearts. Today is a day of salvation. Repent, trust in Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, for life and hope and cling to him. Let me pray for us. and Lord willing, we'll pick it up next Sunday. Well, Father, help us to grasp these words now and to apply them just to be vigilant over our hearts and to give ourselves to the means you've given us to hold fast to Christ, hold out the beauty, the supremacy, the greatness of Christ that we might cherish and treasure him all of our days. We ask in his name, amen.